Hi there, and welcome to Emmanuel. This is our weekly teaching podcast. We hope that it encourages you to live a little bit more every day like Jesus taught us to. God bless you. I want you to take note of something. I was thinking about this when I was studying it. This, these five verses have maybe the greatest character density of any five verses in the Bible. It seems like just about everybody in the New Testament is mentioned in these first five verses. But there's three names that I want you to catch because we're talking about them a lot this morning. And that's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This opens the book of Acts, which, as far as we understand, was written by the same man who wrote the Gospel of Luke. It's addressed to the same patron, Theophilus. And so he continues on his work that he first started writing in the Gospel of Luke. I wrote the former account, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven, after he had been given after he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. To the same apostles also, after his suffering, he presented himself alive with many convincing proofs. He was seen by them over a 40-day period and spoke about matters concerning the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he declared, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait there for what my Father promised, which you heard about from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And that was the beginning of the church. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that this morning you would move in our hearts. God, I'm aware of some of the needs. I'm not aware of most of them. But God, you know about every condition, every one of us. You know how we all are dealing with life and the challenges that we face. God, I would pray this morning that you would meet your people. That where healing is needed, you would bring healing. Where challenge is needed, you would bring challenge. And that you would get all the credit. God, the things that I'm going to say that are silly, just let them be forgotten. And would your good news stand forever, I pray. In your name, amen. I want to end on a high point this morning, but we're going to start with a little bit of a low point. You've heard me talk about this before. It seems to be the great sickness of our age. We seem to be relationally shallow, bankrupt. I I don't mean you individually. I don't mean Emmanuel. I mean as a culture... People describe their greatest need as loneliness. In an age where more people are connected in more ways, more people are more lonely than ever before. I was taking a look at a couple of studies over this past week, one of which suggested that less than 30% of friendships can last more than seven years. Which... I mean, in my time, maybe it was different for you, but in my time, we were taught, like, no, friends are friends forever. Right? Michael W. Smith. I got to take in a concert with him one time. If you've ever heard that song, if you were a Christian in the 1980s and 90s, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing Michael W. Smith. And he started with that song, and it changed the words to, I never thought I'd have to sing this for the rest of my life. 
But this notion that friendship would last was kind of ingrained, is kind of ingrained into all of our DNA. And I know that friends come in many shapes and sizes. Some people you marry, some people you have coffee with, some people you only see on Sundays, and yet they're all friends. But this study suggested less than 30% can last more than seven years. Another study was even more devastating, and it was much more rigorous. Uh, it studied 10,000 Westerners, people like you and me, people who live in our Western society, and discovered that almost all of us have approximately the same number of social connections, somewhere right around 396. I would have called it 400, but that's why I'm not a scientist. And they tracked these people for five years. And on average, their social network stayed the same. They still had right around 400 friends. But only 33 of them were the same from the previous five years. And of those 33, most of them were like passing acquaintances. You know the name of the person behind the counter where you get your coffee. Only six people counted as close. And those six were subject to the same amount of churn. Somewhere around one and a half percent of friendships last five years in our society. And so if you're sitting there today and you're, you know that I'm touching your hot button, you feel lonely and you feel rejected and you feel ostracized and you don't know what's wrong with you because your friendships keep disintegrating all around you, I've got good news for you. You're not alone. The bad news is I think we're all in the same boat because it seems to be happening to all of us. One of the things that I've done over the years is a lot of study on culture. In fact, a lot of my study has been on the differences between generations. That there's this marker that divides generation. What makes Gen X different from the millennials? What makes the millennials different from the baby boomers? What makes the baby boomers different from the greatest generation? These labels that we assign each other, there's always a reason to divide and subdivide, and it seems like we can always cut a finer line. But in all of my study, there's this common unifying theme. Every generation seems to be disappointed. Every generation seems to have been disappointed in the failure of community. I think of my grandparents' generation. And if you're a, a senior in the room, maybe this resonates with you. They, they gave their life to building the neighborhood. They, they put their back out. They gave their life to trying to create a, a home for their kids. And it was hard and it was rough going. And most days there, wasn't, there was barely enough to get by. There certainly wasn't extra. But there's this implicit promise in the culture that at least they would be together. And then everything changed underneath their feet. Sons and daughters had to move all across the continent just to find work. Jobs changed, culture changed. All the, the cultural touchstones seemed to have shifted for my grandmother. She doesn't recognize the society that she lives in anymore. But at least the church was gonna stay the same, right? Except the church totally changed around her. Music changed, decorations changed. Everything she counted on as familiar seemed to shift around her and this sense of community was lost. 
I will never forget the day that I saw, it was years afterwards, late in my university life, my home church went through a split. And for all of my childhood, two rows around my grandparents were filled with their kids and their grandkids and the weird cousins, especially the one named Micah. And then the split happened and I came home from university and the family had scattered to the four corners and instead of being surrounded every Sunday by her family, it was her and her husband, my grandfather, and my grandfather's brother and his wife, and the sudden great emptiness where there should have been community. That promise of community was broken for my parents' generation too. Everybody rallied around the Beatles or ABBA. There was this great monolithic culture that everybody was a part of, and yet as time went on, it continued to subdivide and subdivide. People kept getting broken up into different groups. The great unifying force that was supposed to draw everybody together in our culture, things were supposed to keep getting better, it kept getting worse. The latchkey kid generation arrived. Kids who grew up with this expectation of someone always being home suddenly discovered there was nobody home. And that left a gaping void because there is this expectation, rightly or wrongly, parents are doing the very best they can. I mean no shame on anyone this morning. I'm just identifying. We've all gone through it. My generation, we were promised that the internet would bring all of us together. You'd never be lonely again because finally we've got a communication method that can pierce all of our divides. There will be no more division. And what did we discover? I hesitate to quote Andy Stanley because I know some folks are worked up about him, but he's got this brilliant line. Information does not bring about transformation. The information superhighway hit my high school and it didn't bring us all together. Transformation is the work of the Holy Spirit. And instead of coming together in this great unified community, we've been fractured and subdivided and broken apart. And now things, especially if you watch television, seem more partisan than ever before. There seems to be more that divides us and breaks us apart. Even the generation after me, they were promised that these things would mean that they never have to be alone again. And as I work with more and more teens, these things seem to foster more and more insecurity than ever before. Every generation has been disappointed because we were promised some great unifying community and our culture hasn't met the need. Which brings us to the Trinity. Now, you may not see how I connect those two dots. Hopefully, by the end of the morning, you will. If you didn't grow up around the church, you might not recognize that word, the Trinity. You might have heard it someplace. Even if you did grow up around the church, you might recognize the word and know that's something that we back away from. That thing's radioactive because there's no good way to talk about it. English lacks all the right terms. The Trinity is, uh, you'd sometimes hear me refer to it, if, if this is home for you, you'd sometimes would have heard me refer to it as the Godhead. God the Father, the, the Creator, the Initiator, some people describe Him as, the Judge, God the Son, 
You would have heard him already this morning referred to as Jesus, the Christ, Lord, the one who gave of himself, left heaven, gave of himself so that we could be redeemed. And God, the Holy Spirit, the one that is sent to guide and counsel and equip all believers to carry out the mission that God has for them. That sounds good so far. The problem for most people is when we get to the next step and we say, yes, these three are actually one. Oh, so they're the same person with three different names. No, 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 no. They're actually three. Okay, so they're three. No, they're, all, they're actually one. And then the more you talk about the Trinity, the more confusing it gets. The Trinity is actually so confusing that... Well, here's a little bit of a story for you. When you go to be ordained in our network, to be set aside as Reverend Micah Linkletter, uh, before you can do that, you have to pass something called the oral examination, the ordination council. My theology prof, as my class was getting ready to prep for this, said, you will know when someone on the ordination council has decided that you should not pass, when they start quizzing you about the Trinity because there is no way to speak of it without drifting into heresy. So let's talk about it a little bit this morning. We have taken a number of scriptures and built on them and arrived at some ideas of what the Trinity is. But the thing that we are most certain of is that this very great concept that is too big to fit into my brain, and I'm okay with that because I need a God bigger than my brain. They exist in perfect unity. You see, when I talk with people about the Trinity, often they kind of talk about that three-in-one nature as if it's the major stumbling block. And the more I talk with them, the more I discover that's not the major stumbling block. We are, in general, okay with paradoxes. We Westerners, we'll, we'll hold contradictory information in our head all the time. We're okay with it. We will say that we believe in one thing while we do another. Uh, we've seen things that can be made of the same and exist in three different fashions. One of the very weak analogies for the Trinity that I remember most plainly is that of water. It can be steam, it can be liquid, it can be ice, and if somehow they could all exist at the same time, you'd have three separate things made up of the same stuff. We're okay with holding contradictory information in our head. We are okay with this idea that three things can actually be one. We've seen examples of that. It can get confusing, but what people really trip over is the notion that somehow three beings can be in such perfect synchronicity that they're one. Because our relationships are so toxic and so broken and so full of ego and so full of self that we can't conceive of such perfectly united relationship. We might say the words but when it comes right down to a push comes to shove, that's what we trip over. That's where we have a hard time. And yet, that is the truth. 
for those of us who hunger for relationships, for those of us who feel abandoned and betrayed by friendships. The glory of the Trinity, or at least one of them, one of the great glories of the Trinity, is that you don't have to live in a broken state. That there is a way to be that is not full of relational poison and disruption. That the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are so mutually submitted to each other, so complete in their love, so perfect in their unity that they don't really need anybody else and yet they invite us into the equation. They're so mutually submitted to each other. The Father, sorry, the Son submits to the Father. The Spirit submits to the Son. The Father works through the Spirit and so is submitted that way. They are constantly giving and receiving without it ever becoming toxic. For many of us, the notion that relationship can be healthy is difficult to accept. I could talk for a long time about the various aspects of the Trinity. But for us in Western society in 2018, that's what I think that we need to look at the most. Because for most of us, we walk around thinking that, well, if we're honest with each other, it might be possible to have maybe one or two friendships. But we know that those stats that I quoted at the beginning, we know firsthand that they're true. And today, I want to hammer this idea home. You are invited to be in relationship with the one who never goes toxic, who's never selfish, who's never self-serving, who wants the best for you, who even in the darkest moment will not neglect you or forsake you. And I want to hammer that home this morning. For those of you who are tired, Jesus, a member of the Godhead, actually phrases it this way in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and you will give... I will give Oh, thank you. Yep. See, if you're looking at the back screen, the eye is off. I don't know why. There's no eye there. Thank you. Come to me. I'm looking at it going, that is not the way that scripture reads. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. There's a lot of us that have poured our life out trying to make friendships work, trying to be the right kind of person, trying to change ourselves to connect with people so that we stop being rejected. And Jesus, a member of the Godhead, says, Come, you are welcome here, and you will find rest for your weariness. You will find healing for your brokenness. You will never be abandoned or forsaken. And there's this beautiful passage in Scripture that hammers home how you will never be left by God. It's actually in Jesus' last words on the cross. Anybody remember what they are? It doesn't make any sense yet. 
but it's going to. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I just said, you need to get this, that God will never abandon you. And I'm now saying, hey, look, God, Jesus, on the cross, screams out to God, Father, why have you forsaken me? Micah, how, how can that be? How can you say this is a good thing? My God, look, I've already been abandoned by my family. I've already been stabbed in the back by my friends. I don't need to follow a God who's going to abandon me in my dark, darkest hour too. And that's why I want to look at this. Because we are looking at it with our Western eyes. Not understanding what's going on here. Back in the day of Jesus, they didn't have Bibles. They didn't have mass-produced scrolls, and things weren't broken up by chapter and verse. And especially when it came to the book of Psalms, which is a collection of songs, when you wanted people to like, hey, we're going to read this together or recite it from memory or join with me in singing this psalm, you referred to it by the first line of the song. And everybody would join in. We, we know this today. If I said, amazing grace, how sweet the? Yeah, that saved a? You guys are very energetic about this. Thank you. I know it's early Sunday morning, but we'll work on that. We can all leap in with the next line. And that's what Jesus was doing on the cross. Because he wasn't saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was screaming at those around him. Psalm 22, which starts like this. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I groan in prayer, but help seems far away. My God, I cry out during the day, but you do not answer. And during the night, my prayers do not let up. That's the start of the psalm. And it goes on like this for quite a while. This guy who feels like he's been abandoned. And in the middle of his hardship, God's turned his back on him. And later on in the psalm, before we hit the turn, he even goes on to say, like, God, it feels like all my bones are out of place. I, I'm so malnourished, I can count every one of my ribs. Why have you turned your back on me? Why are you letting me go through this pain? And then in verse 21, it continues. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion and from the horns of the wild oxen. You know that scene in just about every action movie? If you've seen like the original Star Wars, you know what I'm talking about. The, like, the explosion happens and you're not sure if the hero's gonna make it out and there's this beat like this long pause before the ship comes roaring out of the flames. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, you guys are really asleep. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. yes, thank you. That's what's going on in verse 21. Somebody once joked that the way that we divided verses is somebody went along in a bumpy road and wherever the pen fell, that's where we put the marker. Because the verse, it should end there. But it doesn't. Because there's these three beeps. And then this cry comes out of the darkness. You have answered me. 
Your loyal, you loyal followers of the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, stand in awe of him. For he did not despise or detest the suffering of the oppressed. He did not ignore him. When he cried out to him, he responded. God came through. My friends, the same is true for your life. As we stop and look at these three beings in perfect relationship, I need you to know something today. I don't know your loneliness. I don't know your circumstances. I don't know what betrayals you've gone through. I don't know what spears you've still got in the back. Somebody described being stabbed in the back as having the inside of your ribs scratched. I don't know which ribs have been scratched. I do know that we've gone through life together and there's pain. But even in the midst of that pain, where you are most broken, the unity of the Trinity stands. The perfect love of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit stands. And even in the darkest moment on the cross, Jesus cries out, Psalm 22, not because God's abandoned him, but because he knows the end of the story. And God never abandons his children. I don't know how alone you feel today, but today, we get a choice. Today, you get a choice. Today, we get to either choose to keep trying to fix our relationships on our own strength, to keep trying to build the perfect community in our own way, keep trying to figure out why our friends keep disappearing and leaving. And frankly, that path will lead to nothing but more brokenness. Or today, you can press into the one who has shown you his love and has never left us alone and will never abandon you, even in your darkest moment. God never leaves you alone. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Today I'm going to close in prayer, and then we're going to close in worship. And as the band makes their way up, I'm going to invite you. I'm going to invite you, for those of you who have been following Jesus for a long time, to press in a little bit closer to double down, to, if it feels like life has hit the waves and you are all discombobulated, as my mom used to say, to tie yourself to the mast. Because this ship, as Peter said, this is the best option. How did Peter put it? Yeah, you need that, don't you? <laughs> as Peter said, where else would we go? Only you have the words of life. But for some of you, for some of you, that offer of relationship, that's exactly what you've been looking for. That friendship that never abandons you. That love that never gives up on you. That even in the darkest moment, you can know how the story ends. For some of you, 
Today's a really good day to start following Jesus. So we're going to pray. I'm going to leave a, a few moments for all of us to talk to God about our hurts. I'm going to leave a few moments for some of us to start talking to God for the first time. And then we're going to worship and close. So let's pray together. Lord, only you know the stories of our lives. Father, I know that many of us have tried to share them with others, and it's, it's gone toxic. Lord, for many of us, we've tried to find in other people what, we, what can only be found in you. Lord, this morning, my belief is you're calling all of us to recommit to you. Lord, as we gaze at the wonder that is your relationship, we are again struck by the faithfulness that you offer us. We can't believe that you're inviting us into such a perfect thing. But Father, for some of us, we are saying yes again. Maybe for the thousandth time. Lord, would you keep working in our life? Would you heal our wounds? Would you use us, we pray, for your great name? But Lord, for some of us, you're calling us to you for the first time. And in the next few moments of silence, Lord, would you speak to all of our hearts? Would you call some of us home, we pray.